Welcome to Heard at Heritage. Heard at Heritage features cutting-edge analysis and thought from leading experts in and across the conservative movement, as well as premier events and programming from the Heritage Foundation here in the heart of Washington, D.C., brought straight to you. Welcome to Heritage Events Live, preserving American histories in schools. We're thrilled to have you here. Please welcome our host, Angela Saylor, Vice President of Heritage's Volner Institute. We hope you enjoy the program. Again, welcome to our webinar, Preserving American History in Schools. I'm Angela Saylor, the Vice President of the Volner Institute here at the Heritage Foundation. And on behalf of our dear president, Kay Coles-James, we are so delighted that you have joined our First Principles Parent Town Hall series. You know, over the past several months, civics education has come to the fore of the national conversation. And lawmakers in at least 34 states are debating bills this year that seek to address civics education. That's the good news. The bad news is that what passes for civics education can include everything from action civics, which is just code for pure political activism, to Marxist-inspired critical theory. But I have great news. The Heritage Foundation's Fulner Institute has developed an on-the-ground online digital strategy to strengthen collaboration within the family toward improving civics education. Yes, civics education that is historically based and upholds the values of the nation's founding. Well, you may ask how, and we say simple, by engaging Americans with the most powerful influence and the most influential, parents and grandparents. Our Parent Town Hall series is an important part of our effort to intentionally focus on the pursuit of truth in civics education. We are seeking to expand the family's knowledge and awareness of American civics based on the founding documents and principles and to provide resources that help foster a healthy collaboration between families and teachers towards curricula that instructs students on how to carry out and appreciate their duties as citizens. To learn more about this project, please go to Level Up Civics to sign up. Now, part five of our Parent Town Hall series, Preserving American History in Schools, will be led by my colleague, Dr. Joseph Lacante. You will also hear from an expert panel of parents and practitioners. I hope you will enjoy the discussion as they focus on the founders' ability and determination to work through their differences to create the Constitution and how healthy debate created our one-of-a-kind blueprint for self-government. Dr. Joe Lacante is the director of the B. Ken Simon Center for American Studies and he's our leading scholar on John Locke. He's a former associate professor of history at the King's College in New York City and author of the New York, best time, the New York Times bestseller, A Hobbit, A Wardrobe, and A Great War. So as we prepare to welcome Joe Lacanti to the screen, please, please make sure you participate by lodging your questions in the Q&A box. Enjoy. Joe, welcome. Thanks, Angela. It's great to be with all of you. Uh, I'm so glad you could all join us. As the resident historian here at, at Heritage, I just wanted to offer a few minutes of, of, uh, 
of reflection to kind of frame our discussion, stuff we used to know uh, as educated Americans, but too many have forgot. So just a, a little reminder, a little trip down memory lane here. You know, when the American founders met in Philadelphia in 1787 uh, to hammer out a new constitution, they knew that the odds of success were stacked against them because the old constitution, the Articles of Confederation, it really was failing to do the job. It was not gonna hold the country together after independence and everybody knew it. So the delegates, what do they have to do? They have to design a national government strong enough to unite the 13 states without trampling individual freedom. Nothing like this has ever been tried before. And the delegates are divided over some very big questions. The issue of slavery, not the least of them. So let's think about some lessons from their achievements. Lesson number one, do your homework. Do your homework. The American founders learned the lessons of history from the democratic assemblies of ancient Greece to the Roman Republic to the Italian city-states of Florence and Venice. They learned from the failures and the successes of other political societies. They did their homework. Lesson number one. Lesson two, be sober about human nature, sobriety about human nature. In other words, realism, not utopianism. One of the biggest worries of the founders is the problem of factions, factions, groups with very narrow interests who don't really care about how their uh, political demands affect other people. Welcome to America in the 21st century, right? Today we call this tribalism, tribalism. Your tribe com comes first and everybody else pays the price. James Madison called the threat of factions the mortal disease of popular government. Think about that phrase, the mortal disease of popular government. He's, and Madison believed, the founders believed, this was sown into the nature of man. So what's the solution to that problem of tribalism and factions? Well, a partial solution at the least, ambition must be made to counter ambition. So create in the constitution a separation of powers, a separation of powers, three branches of government, right? Executive, legislative, judicial, each has its own set of powers, limited and clearly defined. In other words, stay in your lane, stay in your lane. So the second lesson, sobriety, right? About human nature. Lesson three, be principled, but also be prudent. Know when and how to compromise for the sake of the Republic. Most of the delegates, they are terribly afraid of creating a central government that could assimilate and dominate the states. So they designed a federal system, right? Power is shared and, and, and divided between the federal government and the states. Each again has specific and limited powers, but the state governments, because they're closer to the people, they get preference in the constitution. They remain, quote, sovereign and independent states, unquote. Again, the constitution has a clear message for the federal government. Stay in your lane. Last lesson, protect the rights and freedoms of the individual. Protect the rights and freedoms of the individual. Some of the states, they will approve this constitution on the condition that it immediately be improved <laughs> or amended. They still worry about government overstepping its bounds and they want a declaration of rights. Freedom of religion, freedom of speech, freedom of the press, the right to assemble, the right to bear arms, trial by jury, etc. The first 10 amendments to the constitution known as the Bill of Rights. They ratified 1791. At the core of these rights is the First Amendment. And at the anchor 
of the First Amendment really is religious liberty, freedom of conscience, the rights of conscience for the individual. Now, step back and think about this, what, what the founders do. It is an astonishing achievement. We've got a written constitution establishing a democratic republic spread out over a vast territory. It is a new idea in the history of ideas. We've got a political community based not on race, not on ethnicity, not on religion. It is based on a set of beliefs, on a creed, the American creed, this belief in human equality and human freedom, our rights coming from the hand of a creator. That's, that's the American creed, isn't it? Well, nothing like this has ever been tried in the history of the world, and the founders know it. That's why they call it a novus ordo seclorum, a new order for the ages. That's a line from Virgil in the Aeneid, the founding myth of ancient Rome. They knew this is, this is something new on the world stage. They know it. Now think about this. When the delegates uh, debate the Constitution during that hot uh, summer in Philadelphia in 1787, they managed to keep their proceedings secret. There were no blabbermouths to the press, no leaks to the press. And there's, of course, intense national interest in what's going on behind closed doors, right? Well, on the last day of the convention, a crowd has gathered outside of Independence Hall. Everyone wants to know what kind of government they're going to get. Is it going to be a monarchy, a democracy, some constitutional arrangement? What's it going to be? So when the elder statesman Ben Franklin emerges, he's stopped by someone in the crowd. Mr. Franklin, what do we have? A republic, he says, if you can keep it, if you can keep it. The Americans won their freedom with the revolution, right? They secured it with the Constitution. As Madison summarized their achievement, the happy union of these states is a wonder. Their constitution, a miracle. Their example, the hope of liberty throughout the world. But the question is, can they sustain this hope of liberty? Can they sustain their freedom over the long haul? President Lincoln warned that the greatest threat to our democracy, it came not from a foreign invader, it came from within. If Americans fail to uphold the principles of the Declaration and the Constitution. Here's how Lincoln put it. As a nation of free men, he said, we must live through time or die by suicide. The founders gave us a republic. It is our task, our obligation, and our privilege to keep it. With that said, let me introduce our speakers and welcome them now. Uh, join me on the screen, if you will. I'm gonna give very brief introductions for each of them. You get their full biographies uh, on the website. Join me uh, here on the screen, if you would, a panel. We got an all-star panel, uh, once again, here in Heritage Land. Uh, Tina Deskovich, we've got Patty Hildago-Menders and Priscilla Ron. Welcome, ladies. Quick introductions, Tina Deskovich. Tina is a mother and uh, a former school board chairman of the 10th largest school district in the state of Florida. She's co-founder of Moms for Liberty. I just have to say, I just love the title of that, <laughs> Moms for Liberty, a national grassroots movement that organizes, educates, and empowers parents to defend their parental rights at all levels of government. Moms for Liberty has grown in just a matter of months to 76 chapters in 25 states, with over 20,000 members. We have an army of moms on the march. Watch out. All right, Patty Hidalgo-Menders. Patty, she brings more than 25 years of sales and marketing experience to her role 
as Virginia State Strategist at Majority uh, Strategies. She's president of the uh, Republican Women's Club there in, in Loudoun County, uh, right there in the heart of the storm there, Patty. We're going to hear more about that. Uh, she is married to a retired uh, Coast Guard captain, and together they have six sons, six strapping young men. We'll want to hear more about them, I think, before we're done. And Priscilla Ron, Priscilla. 27-year veteran, public school master teacher from Colorado, a distinction that is held by less than 1% of Colorado's teachers. You know, as an educator myself, it's just wonderful to be in the presence of someone who is a master at her craft. That's a lot of fun. Priscilla has worked in urban, suburban, and rural schools in Texas, Colorado, Alaska as a teacher and principal. She served the students in Denver for over 20 years as chair of the Asian Education Advisory Council, the proud daughter of an Army veteran. You are all welcome at this table, ladies. Let me throw it open here, and we'll start with Patty, if we could, uh, Patty. Um, no, I'm, I'm sorry. I want to start uh, instead, I think, with Tina. Tina, let's uh, let's jump in here with Moms for Liberty and how I'm sure you were just minding your own business uh, over there, Tina, uh, at home with your family and, uh, and, uh, and friends and all minding your own business. And didn't imagine you were going to start a Moms for Liberty uh, national grassroots organization. Tell us a little bit about how and why that happened, would you? Yeah, so Tiffany Justice and I, she's our co-founder. Uh, we both served from 2016 to 2020 on our school boards here in Florida. As we were closing out our terms, we were watching parental rights just get stepped on more and more. We were watching organizations around the country uh, not organizations, but literally just groups of moms and dads and parents stepping up, speaking out, realizing how much power uh, unions and others had in, in the decisions that were happening in their children's education. And so, you know, we, we'd seen what we like to say behind the education curtain in, in our jobs, and we thought we had some skills to share with others. So we decided to form Moms for Liberty. Wow. Okay. We're going to unpack that some more, Patty, I promise, as we, as we get into it. Uh, uh, Tina, excuse me, Tina. And uh, uh, Patty, uh, uh, really a similar kind of question here. You're obviously involved here in in, in the Republican uh, work and movement in the Women's Club. Uh, I got to imagine that's a huge responsibility as the largest club in Virginia. You got a lot going on over there. Again, how you got pulled into this uh, this activist role? What 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 motivated you? What put the bee in the bonnet? So Joe, I'm just a mom. I'm a mom of yes. I've got six sons. And I'm very involved in the community. I've lived in Loudoun County for 23 years. I've had my children go through the school system. Their focus used to be academics, you know, getting our children good AP exams, uh, preparing for SATs. It was the classics. It was uh, learning how to write an essay. And in the last two years, things changed so dramatically. I still have wow. one son left in high school, and my goal is to make sure that they stick to academics. You're telling me it changed, I have to ask this quick follow-up, it changed within the last two years. Yes. If you learn about the origin of how this whole political ideology started in Loudoun County, we believe, I'm sure you're aware, our governor had that big snafu with the black face. Well, the, the black Democrat caucus put a lot of pressure on him. The NAACP did as well. 
they did um, they hired a consultant in this area called the equity collaborative one of their methods of putting this into any school system and community is to create a game called the underground railroad the community went up in an uproar the school board had elections majority of our school board are democrats this shouldn't be a political thing they're using our children as pawns and ever since um, they hired these, like Tina talked about, these special interests, these unions, these consultants. It has changed the entire curriculum of our education. Well, okay, we're going to get into that and how you're battling back against that in a minute. But I'm gonna, I want to go now to Priscilla. Priscilla, you've got this very multicultural background here, a multi-language uh, uh, background as well. Uh, tell us a little about that and how that has been important to you as you've gotten engaged now as an activist on some of these issues. Sure, thank you, Dr. Lacante. My father is black, he's from South Carolina. He was drafted in the army, served our great nation for almost 30 years and retired as an officer. And he's the one who taught me how to love my country, to be patriotic, to stand for the pledge. But he's also the person who taught me how to fight and to go into battle. And I do that every day as a conservative educator in public education. And my mother is an immigrant from Seoul, Korea. She was born um, before the war and uh, she remembers a unified Korea. And um, I've spent time in Korea and growing up in a biracial, multicultural, multilingual home and traveling and studying all over the world. It really gave me an amazing perspective of humanity and, and how we should live our lives and treat other people with dignity. And in the last 27 years as an educator and a principal, I've learned how to work with um, students and educators from different religions, different backgrounds, different philosophies. And it's really critical um, right now in this time how I've seen public education change and the need to address the indoctrination that we're seeing and address this um, hostile takeover that we're seeing in our public education. Education. Wow. And another, another theme that we're hearing, Priscilla, about seeing change over a period of time. Maybe just a quick follow-up on that. What would you say the most striking change that you have seen, or one of the most striking changes you've seen over the years? One of the things that I've seen that's really striking is the silencing of diversity of thought and, and dictating what the curriculum should be without the input of parents. And right now we're seeing uprising of parents paying more attention to the curriculum in our schools. And I think that's a really critical place right now where traditionally parents would send their children to school and they would trust that their children would come home whole. And now they're seeing um, children coming home um, not believing in some of the, the faith and foundations that are being taught in the homes and there's this conflict so there's this battle going on even within our home structures. Fascinating. And maybe, and perhaps the COVID pandemic has helped pull away the curtain a bit uh, in this way. It may be one of the blessings, if we can say there are any blessings coming out of this pandemic, that may be one of them, much more awareness on this front. Uh, Tina, let's take it over to you here. And I want to invite the audience as well to give us some questions uh, over here. We want to unpack a little bit more of this Moms for Liberty. I am just fascinated by this organization uh, and how quickly it has grown. You want to tell us more about it and explaining its growth and some of what you think is going to be an effective strategy for pushing back against the madness. Yeah, sure, absolutely. Uh, like you had mentioned, we are in 25 states now. We literally have hundreds of applications for our chapters, uh, applications to, to apply to be a chapter. So we're working hard and fast to get everyone on board that wants to be part of Moms for Liberty. Um, our chapters are, we, you know, we believe 
that you have to start local as close to home as possible. And, you know, everyone's overwhelmed with what's happened in DC and what's going on with national politics. So when we looked at what we could do and what we had to offer, it was it was to start with school boards and, you know, where the, where the big issues are right now. We believe that education has been neglected for decades by parents, including myself for a lot of years. We all sent our kids off to school in the morning. Uh, they came home with an A, a good score on a state test and yeah we're all so happy um what you know you just you both just referenced that during uh covid what what happened is the edge curtain got pulled back and what tiffany i had seen over the last four years by being in the position now all of america has been open to and so parents have right. have stepped up they want to be part um, we put the roadmap in place for them to start pushing back and making change locally in their districts. There's over 13,000 school districts in the country. It's our goal to have a Moms for Liberty chapter in every wow. single school district, watching over their school board, uh, making sure they do right by children and families. And just a quick follow-up there, Tina, then, when you give advice to these moms who want to be part of this movement, uh, what do you advise them in terms of their strategies on the ground, real, in real practical terms, how they're going to push back against things that really uh, amount to an assault on our founding and our founding principles. How do you advise them, practically speaking? Yeah, there's there's a two prong approach. One, you have to start. You have to take care of yourself. Like you you can't teach and promote ideas and principles that you don't understand. So we have a track for uh, learning the basic founding principles through uh, events we call Madison meetups, where you literally sit around in book clubs and read the Constitution, the Declaration of Independence, in groups and discuss it. You don't need to be an expert. You don't need a PhD. Uh, you teach yourself. Once you know them, the principles yourself, you're able to share them with your kids and your family and defend them when you know they've been violated and stepped on. The second prong is what we're actually doing in school districts by meeting in chapter. Uh, we have monthly chapter meetings where we teach uh, moms, dads, community members all around the country what a school board agenda is, how to how to look for where they bury things in these consent agendas and other areas, what to, what to point out and look for in budgets, all of this stuff. I know um, a lot of people feel like this is new. It's just happened in the last year or two. But for those of us that have kind of been in it for a long time, it's been happening for a long time. But parents have been complacent because we're busy and kids have been doing well. And conservatives in general have neglected education for decades. And it's allowed yeah. someone to take over and put their ideas in place. And that's why we are yeah. where we're at. Yes. Well, Tina, that sounds like you're, you're putting in, in practice one of those lessons I mentioned here from the founders, doing your homework, <laughs> doing your homework. I should mention quickly that in terms of resources, the Heritage Foundation has a couple of things that could really be useful for you guys, if, you, if you're not aware of it, is our Heritage Guide to the Constitution, which is a clause-by-clause -clause unpacking of what the Constitution means, and then a, a, more, a more accessible, smaller uh, a guide to the Constitution, which will be published almost any week now, it'll be available uh, online. Very accessible and useful for high school uh, uh, teachers and parents and kids. So put that out there to think about. It. Stay tuned for that. Um, Patty, a little bit more now on the Loudoun County situation. You gave us a little bit of a, of a thumbnail there about how this thing got started. Maybe you can tell us a little bit more about how practically you are fighting back against this. Uh, because look, I read in the other day here, uh, a Democratic centrist who worked in the Clinton administration, Bill Galston, wrote in the Wall Street Journal just, I think, yesterday, basically saying that the critical race theory is like a poison. It's it's a poison uh, and it has to be fought. This is a centrist Democrat. I don't know if there's any room for, for Bill Galston anymore in the modern Democratic Party. That's another debate for another day. But there's trouble in River City and, and, and sensible Democrats can see that. So we got a problem on our hands with critical race theory. Patty, how are you guys fighting back over there practically? 
So I'll be honest, we would go to the school board meetings during public comments requesting some plan of action to get our children back to in-person learning during COVID. Then this um, school board member, she created a Facebook group and there were other school board members in it. And these parents and other teachers started to intimidate and list our names, basically blacklist us. My first and last name, pictures of me, they called me disgusting, a racist, and that made me more mad. More of us, there's about 40 that they listed. We would go to the school board meetings and demand action to protect their constituents. You know, why are they going after parents with opposing views. So the more COVID happened, we're looming over our children's shoulders. We started to see that th what teachers were teaching and what students were showing us was just not what the school board was saying. They continued to say that critical race theory was not being taught here in Loudoun County. And we determined through FOIAs, through uh, school teachers and substitute teachers showing us videos, screenshots. I have so many screenshots of showing proof of this white supremacy, this uh, microaggression teaching, this, um, it's, it's awful how they're dividing our children by skin color. They created a biased reporting here in Loudoun County so kids can anonymously tattletale on each other if they see racism. They wow. created a student equity ambassador. This equity collaborative is so instrumental in creating equity ambassadors in every school that at first you had to be Hindu, Latinx, uh, LBGTQ and Asian. Then parents were upset that not all students were included. So then they opened it up. But you see how they set the tone of how they wanted to separate our children? Now, I'll be honest, I got more involved because I've lived here for so long. It is has, it used to have the best academic record. And parents, we decided to start an anti-CRT strategy group. And we're a bunch of parents, but we are all business people. We've all been in the business world for many years. Some of us were better at researching with the FOIAs. Some of us were better at public speaking. So I started doing some uh, media and so did my friend Ian Pryor who started Fight for School. So what our goal was to get more parents involved. We wanted to give courage and passion so that and this isn't just Republicans, this is moderates, Democrats, anybody to get involved. We also decided to recall six of the school board members. So this recall petition is still moving forward. Um, it is amazing. It is a lot of the volunteers for this is coming from my club. And I think my club has grown so large in Virginia because of what the, the Democrat control within our Richmond government and within our local government. So it's making conservatives wake up and realize we cannot be complacent anymore. We need to get involved with local elections, local politics. We need to educate our children of, of all the foundation stuff that you talked about, our constitution and our, our values and our faith. So it kind of started because they called us out. Yeah, wow. I mean, when you mentioned this, uh, these equity police, it sounds like the equity police are reminiscent now. I'm an historian. I've studied the Cold War a fair amount. And the uh, the Stasi in East Germany, the, the secret police, the communist secret police ratting out anyone who's not sufficiently yeah. supportive of the of the of the revolution of the communist revolution it has those kind of echoes, doesn't it, Patty? Uh, yes. Scary stuff. 
My parents escaped communist Cuba in 1961. They wow. taught me what communism, socialism looks like. And this is it. It is teaching children to, to call on your, uh, to separate yourself from your parents. It is wow. neighbors telling on each other. It is, it is a, a horrible way to have a community. Yeah, I mean, it, it certainly wouldn't have worked at the founding and how the founders were able to resolve really deep differences, different visions of how the federal government should operate, different, uh, different, somewhat different values about the individual and the state and community, but they 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 somehow sorted it out. And these are these are really deep differences. And maybe Priscilla, maybe kind of on this point, you come from such a multicultural background you're probably used to rubbing shoulders a lot with people that you know probably disagree with you in, in a lot on, on some big questions can you maybe talk a bit about where you've been able to find some common ground perhaps with people uh in kind of in the spirit of the founders in philadelphia <laughs> sure there's always um a way to persuade and collaborate and and talk about issues if we can focus on what the issue is or the goal that we are striving for that's that's a great place to start and i think all of us in america can agree that we do have a tainted history nobody's denying um racism in america and things that that were awful that that have been improved we've come a long way um, but where do we want to go what kind of children are we trying to raise well we're trying to raise loving caring humans who treat people with dignity and love and empathy. We can all agree that's where we want to go. But what we're seeing with how critical race theory is being implemented in our schools, it's using racist tactics to teach anti-racism and that doesn't work. You can't use bigoted discriminatory tactics to teach people how to be anti-racist and caring. And a lot of the conversation that I'm seeing in the classroom and in our training um, just focuses on um, uh, slavery, um, oppression, and they never get us out of that cycle. We're just constantly in what I call an oppression um, cesspool, and they're not giving teachers any tools or students any tools to um, have a better future because it's all about the past. Wow. And so to Patty's um, you know, point that we have to offer something, a solution that's better than what CRT is giving, because right now it's a theory and we know theory is not all truth. It's not a set curriculum, depending on who's teaching the diversity and equity training, they're bringing in their own vocabulary, depending on which critical race theorist books they're reading, if it's white fragility or whatever language, it's, it's so different and you can't pinpoint it unless you do your homework at the district level or um, go to the school boards and, and have the school board members be accountable because the school board members also don't always know what's being taught in our schools. Yes, and on that question, if I could, a quick follow-up, Priscilla, then I want to come back to Tina here. Uh, Priscilla, what, when you're interacting with whether it's school board uh, members or teachers, principals on these questions, what do you find to be persuasive? When you have people who are not sold out on a, on a really leftist agenda and on you know not gonna be reasonable, but we have people who are open to persuasion, have some kind of open-mindedness. What do you find to be persuasive in your interactions with them? Well, I like to ask a lot of questions. Um, as a teacher, it's a great tool. Rather than telling someone someone what to think, you try to guide them through their own thinking and, and rational um, answers. And and I say, you know, do you do you believe that every white person has uh, is has racism in their DNA? and have them unpack that um, 
do you feel, is it true that all white people are racist from cradle to grave and there's no redemptive qualities in them? Do you really believe that black children cannot learn and execute and show their understanding at the same level as any other child and have them defend that they have a difficult time pressing through their thinking, but when they do, then you, you, you can come in and provide some of those answers. Yes, wow. Sounds like a very Socratic approach. Very, if we could bring some of that back into the classroom, a little classical Socratic approach. Uh, uh, Tina, back back to you on this. And maybe if you wanna share with us some of the kind of maybe longer range plans that you have to try to preserve freedom for our kids uh, and, and, a, and a healthy patriotism. Because I think without, without a healthy patriotism, it's really hard to see how we preserve the Republic at the end of the day. Go ahead. And you're muted. Yeah. Sorry about that. Sure, we believe the power is in the parents. Uh, we cannot rely on teachers. We cannot rely on school boards. We cannot rely on our elected officials to make sure that this is happening. Parents need to take charge of this. Um, like I said, teaching in your home. But our long-term plans are to, um, you know, our, our members that are joining Moms for Liberty are by and large people that have never been engaged in the political system before. And wow. so I think by bringing them in and showing them what's going on, um, getting them involved in understanding how government works and who has authority where, and teaching them the power that they have as a tax-paying citizen in the United States of America, people just aren't aware how much power they have, especially when you're when you're organized. And so uh, long-term, we have a lot of plans to get these people um, kind of taught and engaged to the point where they will want to run for office and we can support them in the long run. They will now know the principles that they are standing on. And then we as, as an organization and as parents can support them as they serve in these positions. And, you know, it took decades to get here. It's going to take decades to really fix this problem, but we're in it for the long game. Wow. I think what you just said, there's incredibly important, Tina, that we didn't arrive in this place overnight. And it really is probably a generation long fight. At, at, at different levels, but this is certainly one, uh, it's one uh, really crucial place to be fighting, isn't it? I mean, if we abandon this space, go ahead, Tina, go ahead. Yeah, well, because especially on the conservative side, you you hear it more and more with the more problems that are coming out. Pull your kids, pull your kids, abandon public education. As Moms for Liberty, we support public education. You know, our founders knew the importance of education. And in our society today, we can individually pull our kids and protect them, but we cannot step out of this conversation. It is vital that we protect all of our young citizens because as they grow and they vote, uh, you know, the values that they've been brought up with are, are what's going to be running our government. And so yes. it's vital that we stay in the public education arena. Yes. yes, I think, you know, on that point, Tina, I think sometimes what conservatives, liberals certainly, but sometimes we think too much about a national solution to a problem that is very much at the local level, isn't it? This is a local level. This is a grassroots Alexis de Tocqueville civil society kind of challenge, isn't it? A, a deep cultural challenge that you're engaged in. Go ahead. Yeah, we're watching um, 
you know, our governor here in Florida has taken a stand against CRT, for example, and we are grateful for that. But it honestly, in our opinion, it's not going to do much. And parents have to be checking those backpacks. Um, Moms for Liberty chapters, other parent groups like Patty's have to be reviewing the curriculum. Our chapter in Williamson County, Tennessee, spent a thousand hours going over their English language arts elementary curriculum. That's the kind of work it's going to take to protect our children. Uh, we can't just assume anymore everything's fine. We can't just let, uh, you know, let others make these decisions of what our children are learning. We are, we are going to have to do the hard work. Wow, excellent, excellent. I couldn't improve on that answer. Patty, uh, maybe back over to you here on this, on this point about steps that parents can take uh, in other communities and states to organize and to fight against uh, critical race theory. What would you put on the table there? Well, th what worked for us is we formed group texts or we went on signal to share ideas so we felt trust with each other. Then we would go to the school board meetings together. We were very organized. There was a diversity library. I don't know if you recall in the media, we were all holding up signs of the sexually explicit words of these books that our students were re having requiring to read. And one by one, parents went through the pages of the book. So we were very organized when we attended the school board meetings. I also organized an education, not indoctrination rally. We decided to pull in the public. So rallies are very effective. Um, if you have connections with the press, hold press conferences to talk about what's happening in your area. We also, um, we're doing the recalling of the school board members. So anytime there's an event with my organization, I encourage people to sign up. We also, um, there's so many ways. Uh, just basically communicating, organizing, uh, encouraging more parents to get involved. Like Tina said, it's all up to the parents. We need to know what's going on with our children. And I even asked my youngest son, I said, do you see racism out there? And he goes, mom, no. I'm on the football team and it doesn't matter what color the kid on either side of me on the line is, it just matters that he holds the line and does his job. And that woke me up because it showed me that these children do not have racism with, with each other. It, it is taught from adults, teachers. So I'm just so grateful that I have those open lines of communication with my own son. And I encourage, Tina said, encourage parents to get more involved. Yeah, terrific, terrific. Priscilla, let me ask you this, and it's kind of an open-ended question, so take it wherever you like, you know. Uh, when you think about the experience that you've had as a, as a teacher, as an educator, which is pretty remarkable, you know, to be at that, le to be at that level, be recognized for that ability and all, where would you, where would you say you're most hopeful when you, uh, when you think about this, you know, through an educator's lens about the potential to pass on to our children this great legacy that we do have in constitutional freedom and constitutional government. Where are you most hopeful? What makes you hopeful as you're engaged uh, in this struggle right now? Well, I'm most hopeful because we have parents now speaking up and being vocal, and we have educators who are speaking up and who are, you know, frustrated. They're they're dealing with um, racial fatigue right now. They're tired of being called racist. Um, 80% of our teaching force we know are white women and to go to work every day and to be insulted as an educator when all you want to do is teach and love on your children and um, 
I'm, I'm hopeful that we're going to see more and more people say, this is a terrible idea. This is not working. And they're going to be vocal and they're going to push back. Um, and when I say push back, it's in a way uh, always of bringing um, a solution or a different methodology that makes more sense. And yeah. that's more positive. And so that's what I'm, I'm hopeful about. Yes. Let me do a follow-up question. We just got one from the audience here. I want to put out to you, Tina, uh, uh, Priscilla, but anybody can jump in on this. Do we have any specific suggestions for teachers now, for teachers who are concerned uh, by the curriculum? Um, maybe they're even fearful for their own jobs if they open their mouths, which I'm sure is out there as a real issue. Priscilla, you want to take that one? Sure. So what, what we do know is that 40% of teachers in the teachers union are actually conservatives or registered Republicans. That's a large number. But of course, they feel isolated. Um, we don't always talk about politics at school. People, uh, it's not popular to say that you're a conservative in public education. And so teachers are afraid. And so what we need is someone who's bold, to be the spark in their building in a faculty meeting and say, um, I, I, ha I have a disagreement, I have a respectful disagreement, and, and, and you'll start to see other teachers come forward and have courage. So it takes somebody in your building to have courage um, go to your your teachers union meetings and say, I don't think it's appropriate that the teachers union is pushing for CRT to be taught. And that's the wrong message that we are, because when we really, what I say, put your scuba gear on and go deeper into the curriculum and um, how a lot of the ideology and CRT actually is more damaging to our students of color than they are helping. Um, when you can explain that, I think that's gonna be really impactful at local union levels. Yes, that's terrific. Now, please, Tina, go jump in on that, would you? I would like to add to that because we have quite a few teachers that have joined some of our chapters. Uh, some are more vocal than others, but I will say once we build a, a sense of trust with them, if they are afraid to speak up, if they're not quite as brave as Priscilla says they need to be, they can um, leak us information. You know, they, they are on the front lines. They know what they've been asked to teach, and they often just point us in the right direction. They're like, hey, go look over here, or let me show you what, what worksheet I've been asked to give out. And and we as Moms for Liberty, as parents, can take and run with that. Uh, it, yes. it really helps us to know where to dig. Yes, so I mean, it's, uh, yes, please, Patty, jump in. Go ahead. I've had several of my uh, Republican Women's Club member as conservative teachers, and you're right. When this all first hit, they were nervous. They were afraid they would get fired, and we just kept giving them guidance and told them that they would remain anonymous. Well, uh, today at 4 o'clock, I have another discussion with another teacher who's going to tell us something that's happened in a high school with the principal and how he said that he wants to implement the destruction of the American school system. I mean, words like this are incredible. And the more p teachers can just bring these truths to the light, then parents and organizations like them can, can support them. So in my club, I tell teachers it's anonymous between you know you and I, and I will not use your name to come forward, but I do come out with the information. It sounds to me here on this issue of, of of partnering with the teachers because they should be allies, right? They we've got to we've got to work with these teachers. And most I'm sure the vast majority of the teachers in the public school system, they're in there for the right reasons. They want to educate the next generation. As an educator myself, you care about you know these young minds, these young formative minds and souls. I mean, you they go in for the right reasons, and now they're in a system that is challenging so many of their probably their own beliefs so they, we've got you've got potential allies there and it, it takes us back to me in my mind takes us back to the founders in philadelphia a bit in the sense that 
they just had profound differences on some of these big questions. And they had to sort out, how am I going to continue to work with this other delegate, this other lawmaker, if we're going to pull this thing to get, pull together this republic, this constitution? So they had to figure out where can we find common ground? What can we agree on? Maybe just a little bit more on this, uh, ladies, and anybody who wants to jump in on this, where you're encouraged, where you have seen real success on the ground, what encourages you? I'll be honest, I've had, I use social media to get the truths out of what's happening in our school system. And I've had friends who I've known for 20 years and I know they were Democrat. I had a, a parent um, discussion. Uh, it was a black Democrat woman, a white Democrat woman, a um, Jewish conservative and a black conservative man. And the five of us discussed in my living room, all these topics and we decided to figure out a way to understand each other. We might not always agree, but we shared some truths. And that really got me out of my comfort zone, right? Wow. Um, I've also been part of these parent panels and I, I grab parents that might not look like me. And, and this is what, if we need to use this ideology of um, you know, identity politics, then I will. But I have this vibrant Chinese woman who explains what's happening here and comparing it to the the Cultural Revolution in China, uh, wow. a black gentleman, a black woman, and a Puerto Rican gentleman. And the five of us, we go around speaking as parents. And it shows that it, it, this, this whole identity politics should really be yeah. taken away. We are all Americans, and we need yeah. to bring our pride for America back. Yes, Tina, go right ahead on that. Jump, jump in. Yeah, if I could just say, I am inspired and I have filled every day with these moms that I'm working with. Some of them have never spoken to a microphone before. And some of them have left and called me after their meetings crying on the way home. They've been heckled, they've been called all kinds of names. They just wanna be home with their babies, but they are, they're so brave. It's crazy that you have to have so much bravery to go speak at your school board meeting, but they are doing it. They are stepping up, they are digging deep. And wow. I'm just I'm inspired by what they're doing. That is inspiring, Tina. And Priscilla, do you want to jump in on that? The things that have, what's, what's really encouraging you right now at this moment as you think about, and these are huge challenges, we know that, huge challenges, but it seems to me there, there are so many Americans in the middle, in a, they're not on the far left and maybe not on the far right, they're in a kind of a middle and they're sensible, they have a conscience, they want to love this country. They know there are amazing blessings being in this country. So many millions of people want to come into this country. Your own background, you embody that, right? The, the, the idea of America as this land of hope, your own biography embodies that. What, what makes you hopeful as you're out there in the, in the fight? So we just need to remember how far we've come as a nation. And it's so beautiful to see the growth and the history and we're living history we're rewriting history history even right now we're we're making history and i love these forums and i love that people are actually taking the time to study their history of america yeah. and the world and to become more educated it's it's kind of forcing people to to learn more about what is critical race theory what is critical theory what is critical legal studies what where did this all come from um, where do we want to go? And 
people are open to the conversation who may never have had conversations with other people before. I'm seeing people who might live in more homogenous areas actually talking to people, going going out of their way to, to build relationships and understand other people. There's so many positive things that are coming out of this movement that make me hopeful that we are going to come back to the center because we've gone so far to the left and people see everybody and this is not necessarily um like we've said a republican or a democrat thing parents yeah. are not happy people who are in interracial relationships black dads and white moms and their children are coming home and it's like what are we doing in our public education system so i think this is the perfect time right now to um take hold of what our power is as parents and say this is we are the first and primary voice in the education system and take back that power it doesn't belong to anybody else first it belongs to the parents first that is terrific priscilla that's a great kind of if i if i could say it, it's a great kind of closing statement for you on that an appeal but i want to give also patty and tina an opportunity to to leave with with this large and diverse audience that we have, we've assembled here in this in this town hall, people from all kinds of backgrounds, uh, racial, ethnic, political backgrounds joining these town hall meetings because there's a sensible center out there, <laughs> sensible center. Uh, moms and dads who care about their children's education, who love their country, uh, are there things you wanna add here as kind of a closing statement, perhaps Tina and Patty, if I could ask you to do that. I just want to reiterate that this should not be a political thing. This should not be about Democrats, Republicans. It is about our children. And our public school system was created so that parents could send their children to get a good education, to create good citizens for yeah. the future of America. And if we can recall that, like if we can just put aside our, our political differences and focus on the academics, let's go back to basics. Our children need to look at other countries like Russia and China. They are excelling in all these different academics. And we need to have a higher a higher bar of where our, our education system is and remove this political ideology. Yeah, I, lo I love what you say there about having a higher bar, higher expectations uh, for what our, our young people can absorb. What can, what can they learn, the lessons that they can learn? What, they're, what are we preparing them to do? How are we preparing them for citizenship, to be educated citizens, which is just essential for self-government, isn't it? Educated citizens, uh, uh, an honest, sober, but also hopeful view of the American founding and what we're offering here. Tina, go ahead, I'm gonna take it over to you as well to, to offer some kind of, maybe some, some kind of closing thoughts or encouragement for this crowd. Sure, for us, it's a rally call for parents to take back your power, uh, your power as an American citizen and your authority as the primary caregiver to lead and guide the direction and the upbringing of your child. We have given that power, we have handed it over to the teachers union, we have handed it over to unelected bureaucrats, and we've handed it over to school board members that honestly, a, a good portion in our country have run unopposed for a number of years. And yeah no one is going to give that power back to parents it has to be taken back so it's a rally call to find a local organization obviously we'd love you at momsforliberty.org but if you're in loudon county go find patty find an organization that's working and and doing work and fighting and not just sitting back and get that power back yes well thank you ladies this has been a just really a tremendous discussion and i, I can't think of really a, a more important discussion at this moment because we're talking about the hearts and the minds of the next generation. And we cannot sustain self-government if we don't have citizens who understand this government. 
this government by consent of the governed and a, and a healthy patriotism. So I want to thank uh, our panelists for sharing your insights here in this, in this panel. Thank our audience for joining us in this incredibly important conversation. If you work on Capitol Hill at a think tank, if you have questions, please contact us. Use the information listed on the screen. We'd love to continue the conversation. Uh, immediately following this event, you're going to receive a survey that we hope uh, you'll complete so we can uh, bring ideas that you care about into the public square. To see the events that we have coming up, uh, check out heritage.org slash events. Again, thank you, everybody, for your participation, and have a terrific and blessed day.